When everyone is on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone. Welcome back from the All-Star break, and welcome to the podcast that in this year's NHL podcast All-Star Game Skills Competition set the bar with the hottest take. It was Mark with a take of 274 degrees. Mark, congratulations on the big win. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just flip a couple coins and you get the right answer. We, we all thought that David Castillo's Radic Foxes should play defense take was going to take it, but it, it just didn't didn't quite come through. David doesn't have luck on his side like I do. That's right. All he all he has to do is to depend on skill, and skill only gets you so far. <laughs> it can get you there, but it won't get you over, as they yep. say. It's uh, it's going to be a podcast. Uh, we're going to talk about some hockey. We've got some games coming up starting at Sunday as we record this. So we've got a Tuesday night tilt against the uh, old foe Buffalo Sabres as the Stars begin the stretch run. There are some storylines, maybe not some urgent, immediate right now storylines, but there's there's plenty going on. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, where the team sits right now. We're going to talk about what could happen moving forward, what the team might do at the trade deadline. Uh, we're going to talk about some standout stellar performances, positional groups, everything and anything. And, and before we get to all of that, uh, Mark, I did have one quick stat-based question for you. Okay, the Dallas bring it. Stars, the Dallas Stars have one player in the top 10 in the HL in five-on-five scoring. Who is that player? I'm going to guess Tyler Sagan. It is Tyler Sagan with 32 points at five-on-five through 49 games. For bonus points, if without looking, where does Tyler Sagan rank on the Dallas Stars in terms of overall scoring? I'm going to say maybe fifth. Oh, my goodness. Two for two. He sits fifth. Oh, sweet. With 39 points, he's right behind Joe Pavelski. And then, of course, Duchesne, Hintz, and Jason Robertson. So he is having, continues to have a, a resurgent season as a part of that line and notably doing it without a ton of extra, you know, special teams offense. So it's a fun one. Wanted to get started. And oh, here, here, I, I, have a, I have a trivia yeah. question for you then. Let's do it. What, what? Former or current Texas star just tied for the hardest shot in the AHL skills contest. Ooh, former or current Texas star? Yes. Oh, that's a brutal twist. Okay, I think. Whew. That is, I'm blanking. Let's see. It was, it's not one of the forwards. It's probably a, is it a defenseman? It is not a defenseman. Matt Fraser? 
Oh no, Riley Tufty. Riley Tufty, really? And and your first reaction is Riley Tufty is an all star? I mean, well, my first reaction was I thought he was with Colorado playing on the depth. Well, you know, he's 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 spending most of his time down down with the Eagles. So, all right, yeah, but okay. oh, he's he's bringing it. He's you you always have to go with the six seven leverage on hard shots. <laughs> it's, you can't teach size, Mark. You can't yep. teach size. Well, you can't teach height. I I am living proof that you can teach size. <laughs> Uh, oh man, it's been such a rough winter. I feel the same way. Oh man, it's also <laughs> anyway. Girl let's Scout get let's get season, let's get back to some way. star stuff here. Yeah, we'll get back to some star stuff. We do want to um, introduce our. We've got a new sponsor here heading down the stretch run, so we're going to get a little bit of quick bill paying in. And bear with us, guys. It is playoff time, and the usual suspects are heading to Vegas for the championship. And our partner, Bet Online, is your number one source for football odds, stats, trends, and lines. Mark with everything from point spreads to hundreds of bets on everything from the coin toss to the color of Gatorade. Bet Online is the number one source for your championship wagering. Head to Bet Online and join today to get into all the action. Bet Online, the game starts here. And I understand the smart money is on the orange Gatorade. Smart money. It's it's not the best flavor. I'm more of a fruit punch guy, but I think you're right. Orange is is the it gets it's the traditional favorite. KT chiming in from the chat licks blue flavor. I, I will accept that as well. What is it? The cool cherry? I think it is. Whatever. It's that's that's my kids' go to is the the blue, and it's it's pretty good to have it have it in the fridge. I, I just <laughs> drink blue. all of it. The flavor is just blue. It's like it's like Ken. He is beach. His job is beach. The flavor <laughs> is blue. Okay, right. so let's talk. Let's talk. Jake Jake Ottinger is, yeah. is an all star goaltender, and in fact looked like an all star goaltender in Toronto. Yeah, he looked fantastic. Had a couple of key uh, blocks. I, I loved the little bit during the the skills competition. Elias Patterson picked him to shoot against because apparently Otter was talking some trash at dinner, and uh, I think he he held his own. At least it's it's a I think Taylor had the the best quote. It's you know as a goaltender going into All Star Weekend, you you kind of just hope you hope that you don't hurt yourself and you hope you don't get shelled. And it seems like Otter was able to accomplish both of those things. Yeah, and everybody else got to take a well earned vacation, which might be preferable. Yeah, I mean, he's I guess been injured for a while. It's not exactly a vacation, so maybe at this point, just playing is is something he likes. I know there was a you know with with Swayman and a couple of the other goalies, there was a, a Boston hockey connection going on. So yeah, he's he he was an all star. He looked like an all star. The key question I think for the stars, Mark, is do you think he's going to look like an all star down the stretch? Well, he's going to need to look like an all star because we've seen what. The Dallas Stars defense uh, is allowing, so we need to get uh, some some kind of save percentage up in, oh, let's say even minimally the 905, 910 range, and and get a little bit of that swagger back. And once we do that, the the Stars have an offense that can can win games. Yeah, and, and he's a little bit. You know, the last time we did this, I think he was around negative five. Um, goals saved above expected. If you look at money puck, it's still it's still not great, friendo. He's sitting at a negative three point five, right between Spencer Martin and Jack Campbell, which is not company you want to keep in twenty twenty four in the NHL. His save percentage has hit nine hundred, which is good. The goals against is still three oh four. It's it's been a you know he started off on a heater, right? Then did the opposite, then got hurt, and he's been. I think better lately, but uh, to your point, right? He's he's not exactly playing behind 
you know, a, a don't let anything happen defense. Yeah, this is no longer the the Rick Bonus special here. Is it's not like we're just clamping everything down. There, we're sending forwards out on stretch passes and and playing a little fast and loose with the puck. And so the defense really needs to tighten it down a little bit, or else we're going to get into trouble. Yeah, they do a little bit. I mean, it, it is a, a good point, Mark. You, you yes, you need to get him rolling, and, and we need to get that that expected goals, and, and you know it does need to get tighter. But the team is is. You know, second in their division, they're nipping at the heels of the Colorado Avalanche. So I take that back there. When Dallas was trailing but ahead on points percentage, I, I use that. So I'm going to amend that they're sitting technically third. Um, Winnipeg was 6-9-1, threatening to run away with things. Colorado 6-8-4. Dallas was 6-7-3. So they're in the mix, but they are technically third place in the division if you go by point percentage. Three-game winning streak heading into the break. So there's, they're a good team. So my, my question is, is the answer that you lock it down or or does this team need to be free flowing to be successful? I think this team needs to be free flowing. Uh, that's that's the new nature of this group and so I think what it means is that Ottinger needs to not necessarily have that save percentage up in the you know 92 93% range which is something that you potentially could do under bonus but keep it in something reasonable. And what you need to worry about is the difference between expected goals and goals allowed because Dallas is going to give up some goals. And the question is, can they outscore that? And I think the answer is quite definitively. Yes. Yeah. And and I think as well, like that number doesn't look as horribly. So if if you look at the goals against, right, uh, his goals against average is three Oh four. If you look at his expected goals against, Two nine one. So yeah, he needs to tighten it up a little bit. But but to your point, you know, looking elsewhere on the list, it's three fifty two and then three twenty six, three twelve, two eighty four, four fifty, three seventy. Right. The 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 trouble is is not from the looks of you know just looking at the statistics. It's his his expected goals are higher, his actual goals are higher, but there's not a massive disparity. That really, you know, I, I think if you were thinking that something was broken, something was wrong, you know, there was something kind of structural at play. That's when you see those those crazy splits of just picking on the poor guy. Jesper Wallstead has it, and it's there's a sample size thing, so grain of salt, right? But Jesper Wallstead has a goals against of seven and expected goals against of two point nine two, right? So you're not seeing anything that says, you know, this guy is the problem. It's just yeah, the team is looser. I think I do think the injury played a fact. You know, it's it's very rare in the NHL that the instant a player is impaired, he leaves. Right? Usually, the, these guys try and suffer through it a little bit. So, I, I don't think it's insignificant that he missed a pretty good chunk of time with a with a tr- with lower body thing. So, you know, he cleans it up a little bit in in the second half of the season, and and this team might just be cooking. They found the offense they need. If they can save a couple more goals, then you know you, you got to start asking yourself, what do they lack? Well, and I think what we're doing on the defensive end is now we can we can kind of settle in and not really with the in- injury to Jake Ottinger, but with the injury to Miro Haskinen, you're seeing a team now that seems to be wanting to look at Haskinen playing with Thomas Harley as kind of a killer. Oh, and it's a good pair. <laughs> and and then willing. Look. Yeah. Will it willing to try and use Lindell and Hockenpah as a shutdown pair and then. It really kind of boils down to whether Suter and and Nils Lundqvist can turn into that third pair that we've hoped since the beginning of the season they could. 
And that potentially means less minutes for Suter, which I think we, we've shown throughout the season that if, if Suter isn't pushing 20 minutes a game, he can still be a useful defender. And, and if he can do something with Lundqvist and, and, and help Lundqvist release some of his, his offensive potential, then all of a sudden we're talking about a Stars team that at least in the regular season should be pretty successful at defense. And even if it isn't always just shutting down completely on the defensive end, you have some opportunities to score and get get that defense participating and moving the puck on the ice. I mean, it's it's early, right? And there is a sample size at play, but early returns on the Haskin and Harley pairing are that you know hide, hide your eyes if you're the other team. These guys are are it's it's all on the other end. It's all on the other net. They they've been they've been fantastic. So far, well, yeah, and it, yeah, and if you take a look at kind of the guys who are writing serious analytical stuff about NHL hockey, I've seen three or four pretty detailed pieces about how they're just absolutely in love with Harley and Haskinen as a pair. So I, I think there's almost universal acclamation here that this is this is just awesome. And the question is whether. Dallas can piece together four other players into two other pairs that will allow that to continue. Yeah, and that's where you get into trouble, right? Because Esselindel and Yanni Hockenpah are it's the same stuff we've been talking about all season, right? They they are limited and they're they're technically the shutdown pair and they they play a lot of tough minutes and as a result you expect to see the ice tilting when they're on, but at the same time, you know, they have been on the struggle bus when it comes to getting the puck out of the zone, progressing it up the ice. And there is only so much defensive solidity can do for you if you can never get the puck out of threatening situations. So there, there is some, I think, some valid concern that, okay, you can certainly load up Harley and Haskinen and have a, a you know, elite number one pairing. But if if we're being really honest and if we're talking about the really elite teams in the NHL, if you lean on Hockenpah and, and Lindell as your shutdown pairing, as your tough matchup pairing, are they going to undo whatever you gain putting Harley and Haskinen together? Well, I don't think you have to lock yourself in a box here, though, because I think we've shown that the teams that really have success against Hockenpah-Lindell pairing are the ones that can just bring an absolutely ferocious forecheck. Yeah, because they can't they can't them, press the puck, right? It's it's you, right, you exactly. force them and, and, to have to beat pressure. Right. But if you see that happening, there's absolutely nothing that stops Pete DeBoer from making an in-game adjustment and saying, Hey, this pair's having trouble getting the puck out of the zone. And so we're going to make some changes so that we have pairs that have guys who can get the puck out of the zone. And and so you make a minor adjustment. Your standard is you go in with pairings. That, that we talked about earlier, but if need be, you make an adjustment in the middle of the game and, uh, and deal with it. Yeah. I think I, I I've seen some things somewhere is, is you almost look at it. You almost look at it like double shifting a forward and, and you've got your number one in Haskin and your number two in Harley. And that is a pair, but the other pairs aren't so much the other four players as your top two defensemen spot, starting with the other four players and occasionally those other four players combining as well. Yeah, it's, it's a little bit more of a, you know, it's like Harley and Haskin are playing on a pair and a half. 
And I, yeah. I saw something they've scaled back a little bit on Haskinen's penalty kill usage. And one of the rationale without tweaking his ice time. And one of the rationales there is if you can save time on the penalty kill, then Haskinen is playing with Harley and also with Ryan Suter for part of the game. And Harley is playing with Haskinen and also right. And that way you can kind of fake it and get a puck mover on every line because you're, you're occasionally double shifting a couple of, and it, you know, they're, they're in the age bracket to do it, right? If, if ever you can be double shifted, it's when you're a, a, you know, in your twenties in your prime, you know, defensive player. Yeah. And in fact, I was kind of arguing for the other after, after Haskinen came back and saying, you know, if you really want to scale Haskinen's numbers back, he's such a great penalty killer. Um, well, he was out. Thomas Harley was just as successful as as Haskinen's been running that number one power play unit. And so there's, in my mind, a real reason to say, let's scale back Haskinen's time on the power play and maybe have him run second unit and put the major minutes with Harley because we didn't see a drop off then. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's something to be said. If the power play is, you know, and, and obviously, you know, if you're Miro, you probably want to be on the power play. And I think you, the other point that you made. So I, I, yeah, if if you can get Harley to take some of those minutes, then you're right. You could say that the penalty kill potentially looks much better with all world Miro Haskinen than it does with Yanni Hockenpah and. Well, and, I think uh, you're Lindell. right. Hockenpah and Lindell are going to eat the majority of the PK minutes anyway. But if you take a look at the raw numbers, Haskinen is by far the the best penalty killer on the Dallas Stars. And well, he's just if you, far the best on the Dallas Stars, right? But I mean, it's some sometimes, especially this year, the numbers don't really bear that out, just because of the number of minutes that he's that he's had and the and the pairings that he's been stuck with. I was going to say, I will die on the hill of you have to take. Miro's stats with a grain of salt because for so very long he has been the guy that is solving another problem. Thomas Harley might be the first time that the Dallas Stars as an organization have entered have, have created a situation where it's hmm, let's see what happens when Miro has help. And and I mean here and this is going to be off the top of my head so don't don't force me on the specifics of these numbers but the last well, the time I looked I I I I <laughs> Haskinen is allowing about four goals per 60 at, at uh, on, on the penalty kill, which is about half the team average. I mean, it, the numbers are just, you know, standard deviation twice over better than anybody else. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's where you want him. That's a number that stands out a, a, away from any other defender we can put on the ice. And And when you see an anomaly like that, I think you have to take advantage of it. And I, I think you're right. And maybe hopefully finally they're starting to figure that out. And and I want to talk about another X factor in all of this. And Mark, if, if I were to tell you that I could get defenseman with a an expected goals for percentage of 52.8, right? So 52.8% or 0.08% of the goals happen for him when he's on the ice. If I can get you a, a, a defenseman who, who has almost 56, 55.84% of the high danger chances go for his team when he's on the ice. Um, would you be interested in that player? Oh, I'd look. Absolutely. Yeah. That, that player's name is Nils Lundqvist. And there is a lot to unpack, right? But the reality is Haskinen went out and Lundqvist went from playing, you know, went from being a, a lengthy strat, scratch 
and from playing consistently in the you know 13 to 15 minute range to all of a sudden rattling off 19, 18, 16, 19, you know, he, he suddenly started playing big boy defenseman minutes and the wheels didn't fall off. And he did a lot of that with Ryan Suter. And and this is not me saying, you know, it's it's Haskin and Harley and Lundquist. This is me saying, is it insane if you're Jim Nill twirling your Jim Nill mustache of ice hockey wisdom, looking at it and saying very quietly so the jinx bugs can't hear you, maybe this guy can anchor a third pairing, right? Or at least, you know, you can run this guy out there and not get killed on your third pairing. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I've, I've looked a little bit specifically at Lundqvist, and I think the big problem that the team has with him is that even with his bulking up a little bit over the summer, he he can get pushed off the puck yes. in the defensive end against the boards. And and there were the last couple of games, there were some specific instances where he went into one-on-one and pretty much didn't make a dent in the four-checker. And so I think that's the big area of concern, and and that's what leads to zone time. You know, once once you get the puck on his stick, and once you give him an opportunity to to exit the zone, in particular, once you get him released in the offensive zone where he can use some of his creativity in his shot, then all of a sudden you're talking about a pretty high level offensive defender. And but, that's and that's why I you know I, again I was I was trying to be careful. I didn't want to say. You know, hey, let's let's put you know, forget this Haskin and Harley business. Let's put Haskin in with Lundqvist. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not saying I think he's you know a top two or even a top four guy. But if we're talking about the bottom, you know, the bottom pairing in a salary cap league, we're talking about. And by the way, the stats I quoted were five on five. So just to to be yeah. very clear. But you know, we're not we're not talking about a guy that has to do it against the best competition. I'm I'm just talking about in the situation we talk about where the heavy lifting is being done elsewhere in the roster. You. Know, can he be your five six? Right. We talk about you know in this in the same way that you know Pete DeBoer, one of his responsibilities down the seats it's asset management. Like he he has an asset in the Lindell Hockenpah pairing that has limitations, and his job is to put them out there when they can help and to shepherd you know to kind of shield them when they can't. Is it not fair to look at Lundquist in the same lens and say, yeah, there's some warts here, and you you can lean on this guy, and he's going to struggle with physical teams and the forecheck, yada yada yada, but isn't isn't good coaching also recognizing the other point to that, which is you get him in the transition, you get the puck on a stick, get him in the offensive zone. Is is he a better player in two out of the three zones on the ice than Essa Lindell is at this point in his career? I don't know. I don't know. I- interesting question. I mean, yep. I, I'm kind of heartened by team's attitude toward Lundqvist after reading the interview that Sean Shapiro had with Jim Nill. And, and and Neil was very positive about the progress that Lundqvist had, has been making. And and I know that out out in the fan community, you 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 see all sorts of highs and lows. And and there's been this talk that the team has given up on Lundqvist. And I think that is pretty much squashed at this point. Yeah. And and I think you know right now I think the big issue is that you could probably get away with a second pairing of Essa Lindell and, and Nils Lundqvist. I think that that has the opportunity to be fairly well, and the numbers kind of hold that up. But if you if you then take a look at this current team, the way it's configured, then all of a sudden you're talking about about Ryan Suter and Yanni Hockenpock yeah, as a third pair, and that, that pairing has been a disaster. 
So, well, and so I think you can't you can't do it. Well, to do that, I think we get it. You mentioned this earlier because you're prescient and brilliant and wonderful. But I think that the key to that is if you're in that situation, then your third pairing isn't Hawk and Paw and Suter. Your third pairing, that's when you're you're shifting resource, right? You've got your first pair of Haskinen and Harley. You've got your second pair of Lindell and Lundquist. And then you've got your third pair of Harley, Suter, Hawk and Paw, and Haskinen. You know what I mean? Like your your third pair turns into that you know, or, or your third pair is Lindell and, you know, and, um, Hawk and Pond certain. So you know, your third pair turns into your situational pairing. Oh, we're on the penalty kill. It's going to be Lindell and Hawk and Pond. Oh, we've, we're, we've got an offensive zone face up, or I think we've got a good matchup. I'm going to throw Lundquist and Suter out there. You know, it's, it's, it's that, that pair turns into reading the game and adjusting because to your point, you're going to have to hide it. Cause I think you're right. Right. And, and I think it was, I, I may have been sod. It may have been Castillo. I apologize. I'm misattributing this, but it may have been Shapiro. Even somebody in the, in the sphere, it must've been Shapiro or Castillo. This sounds much more like their analysis, but they made the point that one of the downsides of Harley's emergence is that with Harley getting time on the power play and Harley fitting in with Haskinen so well, it kind of ices out the most obvious role for Lundquist, even though Lundquist was playing better. If you can but, follow yeah, that logic, because again, yeah, it comes down I, I to follow that. I follow that logic, but you know, that's, that's maybe a discussion for over the off season. Cause I don't well, think also, that was Mark, I've happen got a, this year. Well, and I've got a hot take on that one. Okay. If, if you don't mind my takery, I'm going to heat up the old take factory. Good. The, the, the easy take oven, we'll call it. My hot take is that's Pete DeBoer's job. And honestly, at this point, I think his job is to figure out how to keep Lynn, uh, how to keep, sorry, Lundquist on the ice because they need him to soak up minutes. And I'm not saying first pair, second pair. I'm saying, you know, as a third pairing player, right? I, I think that the idea that you can't play Lundquist more because Suter and Hawk and Pa has been a disaster is true. But I think the solution to that problem is a coach and is a coach looking at the roster and is a coach managing the assets that he has versus a, I think it is, it is closed minded and limiting to say, well, I guess we just can't use Lundquist because if we use Lundquist, then I have to put Suter and Hockenpah together and that doesn't work. So I guess we can't do it. Yeah. You know, I, I'm with you, but I'm not because <laughs> I, I, I just, I just fully expect the rest of the season to go, uh, to go Lundquist and Suter. And and really, Lundqvist's job is to make sure that he's enough in the good graces of DeBoer, so that when it comes to be playoff time, that it's not uh, it's not Joel Hanley coming in in Game Three and playing the rest of the playoff run. I'm I'm all for that, and that's that's I think that's I think that's your ideal. Like that's what that's what DeBoer needs to figure out because I I do think that the the benefit of the playoffs, right? You you can shorten your bench. Right. And and once this team hits the playoffs, you really can lean inordinately on Haskinen and Harley. History tells us, right, teams, especially on the back end, right? Remember when Anaheim won it with Niedermeyer and Pronger and those guys just never left the ice. And so that's gonna happen. You you gotta get there. And I think part of getting there is you know, you're not you're not prepping Lundquist at this point to be, you know, capital T, capital G the guy. You are prepping Lundquist to be a guy that can reliably take 16, 17 minutes and not get you killed. And I, I, I believe that he is there if he is deployed correctly. And I think we've seen the blueprint to that. It's just a, 
NHL coaching thing. Are they willing to do it? Yep. And, and, and really, to tell you the truth, part of the battle here is also to get Haskin in playing 23 minutes a night as opposed to 25 to 26, mm-hmm. because you are going to lean on him in the playoffs and you don't want to have him wear out by the end. And, yeah, and I think that's, that's 26 what happened minutes last in year. June, not 26 minutes in February. Yep. And, and so that's maybe one of the reasons, you know, the stars have a little separation there. They're certainly in a in a good playoff position. You maybe want to arrange yourself so you have an easier first round matchup. But at this point of the season, it means that Haskinen probably needs to have a few less minutes per night because you don't need him to to get you to the playoffs. And the same is true with Ottinger. And, and really, to tell you the truth, it's maybe a blessing in disguise that uh, that Ottinger was injured because it showed DeBoer that Scott Wedgwood could come in and relieve Ottinger to the point where you aren't riding him that hard going into the playoffs because you know you're going to do that in the playoffs. And Mark, I, I got I, I'm I'm man, I'm, I'm firing tonight. I'm feeling I got Sweet. my all star break in because I, I got a the ding ding, the easy take oven, man. I got I got another one coming at you. I don't think Dallas should worry about seeding heading into the playoffs because I don't think that they're going to finish first or second and beyond in even second, right? So right now at St. Louis in the eighth spot, you'd take that matchup. The Kings have been bad lately, but they were a fire breathing dragon at one point in the season. Then you get into Edmonton, Vegas, Winnipeg. Like I just, yeah, if, if you can go for it, and if you can if you can get into Vancouver is riding a PDO bender for the ages, right? They're not going to. So it's one of those things where I just I think that this is one of the seasons where. In looking at the conference, finishing second, third, fourth, which seems you know likely even fifth, which seems kind of likely for Dallas. I don't think that there is a significant difference in playoff matchups like right now, if you're Colorado, you're playing L.A. That's not. You know, walk. Yep, you probably want to avoid Edmonton, but they may climb higher. But I, all I'm saying is the way that the West is put together. Some seasons you want to you want to push because there's some real you know some real dross in the playoffs. I think this is going to be a year where the West has you know six or seven strong teams. So it's much more important to come into the first round ready than it is to come into the first round in second place or first place. Yeah, and I'd, I'd even take it a little further. I, I think last year, one of the things that really hurt Dallas down the stretch was that Minnesota series to start out, which was just a brutal slog. And at a certain point, you you you, you have a cumulative effect on, on your body as you go through this process. And Minnesota got Dallas a little further along in the physical abuse than, uh, than they wanted to be. And then they had to totally adjust to, to play a speed game against Seattle, which threw things out of, out of whack. And so by the time they ended up playing Vegas, they were a pretty beat up team. The, the Minnesota so, mild, really, they couldn't play with them. So they tried to, to beat them in. Yeah. yeah. And, and I don't see an issue this year where you're going to have that physical series right up front, where you're going to take that inordinate amount of damage early on if you run into somebody. And, and and if what we're talking about is just playing high level hockey, I think Dallas can play with anybody who's out there. And so so I yeah, you're right. I think you know, it'd be nice to have home ice, but 
no, this is a team that can win on the road. This is a team. I, that I'm can sure win Tom Glark, very I'm veteran. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. And and really, like like I said, just looking down the, it's it's Vancouver. It's it look just this is this is funny. Reading the winning streaks in the in the Western Conference right now, win one, win three, win three, lose one, lose one, win sixteen, win one, lose <laughs> one. That's your playoff field, right? So, you know, even even let's let's say the playoffs were starting tomorrow. Right. And Dallas is in the unenviable position of having to to face the, you know, 10 0 and 0 16 game winning streak Winnipeg or, sorry, Edmonton Oilers. Right. Is that matchup any more daunting and brutal in the second or third round than it is in the first? Like there, there's a part of me that says if you're going to get into that kind of nightmare matchup, wouldn't you rather it early than later? Because early you're at least. You know, yeah, you could get lucky and, and somebody on the other team could could get hurt, but so could you, right? So at least in the first round, you presumably have all of your faculties about you. Yeah, you know, and, and to tell you the truth, Edmonton doesn't worry me as much as some of these other teams because Dallas has Miro Haskinen, and and, and Haskinen yep. is a wild card against, he's the probably the one or handful of defenders in the entire NHL who can go head-to-head with Connor McKay. The other and, and, is, and the thing about Edmonton is, is Edmonton going to goalie you? I don't think so. Well, so that's, so that's Dallas, the, is, the Dallas is competitive here. Yeah. That, yeah. So you you want to, if if you have to play them, you kind of want to play them at a moment where Haskin and Harley are going and you've got the first line and you've got the Deshane line and you've got, you know, Ben and Wyatt Johnston. It's, it's kind of one of the, so my, my point being, it's not that it's an easy matchup. It's that outside of seven and eight, and seven, even even the Kings, right? Like they've been really good at points this season. Really, the, the only if you look at the Western playoff field, the only one of those teams right now that you look at, you know, it's it's again we're, we're talking goal differential, right? Plus fifty nine Vancouver, right? Thirty seven, thirty two, thirty nine, twenty five, thirty six, twenty, negative twelve, right? So there's there's kind of one patsy there, and you're not going to get that Vancouver's that's done. You're not they're they're seventy one points. It's it's not out of the realm of possibility, but you're not going to leapfrog what four teams and make up a you know five point deficit with with this much season to play unless you go on an all time heater. In which case, if you're that good, it doesn't matter who you're matched up against. Yeah, well, unless you're the Milwaukee Admirals, but that's kind of inside AHL stuff. <laughs> no, in, 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 as far as I'm concerned, let's get Vegas and Edmonton in the first round. Yeah. In my mind, that's ideal. One, it's going to be fun to watch, oh, and two, sense. it takes care of one of the two. <laughs> so I'll, that's a that is a very long winded way of of saying kind of what we've been talking about as a general theme is I think that the stars are in a position where you know they they've got separation where they need to right. They're not likely to fall into that you know, seven, eight, six, seven, eight muck. So focus on getting it right. You know, focus on, on being healthy. Don't, don't obsess about finishing in the top slots in the conference because the reward will likely outweigh the effort to get there. Instead, just focus on getting all your pairings, getting everything set and, and being, being kind of ready to go. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Let's, uh, let's take a little break here and then come back and maybe talk a little bit about Wyatt Johnston up on the, on the top line. I love it. All right, Mark, you you teased it, and and I'm glad you did, sir, because one move heading into the break right around the time, it wasn't that the first line was necessarily 
playing poorly, but they weren't they weren't what we've been used to. So Pete DeBoer, after his patients made the switch, threw Wyatt Johnston alongside Hintz and Robertson, and you know, boom. Yeah, I was going to say, give me one word for the for the result. He's been fantastic. Tell me what you see there. I, I think that you just have a lot of hockey IQ guys that uh, that see the I see the game a couple steps ahead, and as as a trio, that's just a, a joy to watch. What more could you want? Yeah, Three other lines exactly like it. Yeah, I was going to say right. Uh, they they already have one line that's pretty much like it with Deshane and, and Sagan. So the thing that I the thing that I found interesting about it is you hear a lot of talk about Wyatt Johnston's style and and, and a couple of things have stood out to me watching the early returns. The first is that one of the repeated comments about Johnston is he is able to find space. He's able to read his line mates and fill in, you know, fill in holes in the ice, which sounds a lot like his roommate, Joe. The other thing is he's a better shooter than I think you, you maybe initially are aware of. And then the third bit is he's, he's a playmaker. He's a creative player. And so you think about the configuration of that line, right? And you you have Hints with the wheels. Hints can shoot as well. Robertson is is again another slow the play down, you know, playmaker shooter. And then you have Johnston, who's a kid that can kind of read the other two, right? So you've got you've got a high end athlete, high end physical player, and and Rupe Hints. And then you've got two players that are just experts at creating and exploiting space which as we're seeing is just a really good recipe to have in a hockey forward line. Yeah. What, what more can you say? This, this is, you know, three, three weeks in or whatever it is now. And I don't know that there's a whole lot more to delve into on, on the stars top two lines. It's really now the question is, what are you going to do with your third line is steal a solution between Ben and Pavel. And is there anything that you can tweak on the fourth line to make it slightly more effective? And if what you're doing is talking about tweaking third and fourth line issues to make your team a little better, you have a pretty good team. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what you're doing when you're an elite contending team, right? You're not you're not sitting in a situation thinking, how are we going to make the playoffs? You're sitting in a situation thinking, what is the best version of ourselves for when we make the playoffs? And the other thing that that really heartens me as a Dallas Stars fan and and we've you know we've talked before right this is a team that has been able to transition from the you know Sagan Ben Spezza era to the Sagan Ben Radulov era to the Pavelski Hintz Robertson era to you know this is a team that has continually been able to reinvent itself and all of a sudden you've got a first line with you know I think what is it Hintz is the old man on that trio and he's 27. Yeah, that's pretty <laughs> exciting, huh? <laughs> yeah, and that's without even getting into one thing. I wanna I wanna talk about is you could argue that two of the stars' most effect or most promising offensive forwards haven't even haven't even played in the NHL this season. Yeah, it is quite quite true. And so that and that's why you see the conversations about uh, about okay, when are we going to see Logan Stankoven and when are we going to see Maverick Bork? If you want to question how you're going to solve the problem of who's going to center that third line. Plugging in Bork uh, is is kind of a pretty easy answer, and 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 Stankoven potentially as well. That you know, slightly different games, but you could see both easily melding with with Ben and Pavelski and and being very effective. Yeah, I mean, you could see Stankoven melding with a lot of people <laughs> at yeah. this point. Yeah, I mean, and, and the thing is, you you know, you say, well, Stankoven's kind of small, and Bork, Bork's not quite as small. 
but you know who better than the the captain to kind of usher him into uh, to, to NHL hockey? You know that's that's one of the things that Ben took on himself when uh, when Wyatt Johnson started. To, he got to be big brother. Yeah, and as well, I think with size, right? I think yeah, that, oh, that absolutely. Is- you can get and and just also like you can get away when we talk about players when we talk about player size right you can get away with being undersized in the NHL it is not an automatic by itself disqualifier what i don't think you can get away with is as a team being undersized in the NHL and Dallas yeah. does have the advantage of you can if you call Stankoven up it's not like he's playing on a line with physically limited player. You can you can play him with Jamie Benn. You can play you know the, the guys he'd be playing with. You know Jason Robertson even isn't a isn't a slash. Hence it's like you could you can put him in a situation where he's the smallest player on his line, and that's probably going to be fine. You know my personal preference here is that if if they if it was a choice, and you were specifically bringing somebody in to put between Ben and Pavelski. I think Bork makes a little more sense because of the game that he brings and, the, and his ability to see the ice and to distribute the puck. And and I think him with with Ben and Pavelski opens up a lot more options than than Stankoven, who is going to be really tough going to the crease. But you already have guys who can go to the crease in that area. Guy who's going to go to the boards. Um, you know, a, a good sniper. But you have you have snipers on that line already. And so I, I think. As opposed to tripling down on some skill sets with Stankoven, with Pavelski and Ben, if you had Bork in there as a as a creative center, it, it opens things up significantly. Yeah, and that's I think when you get into and we we kind of had the this the more better conversation around why Jake Ottinger is an All Star. I think part of this, and I want your opinion because you you certainly are much more plugged in on the Texas Stars side of things than I am. But the the rep right now for people when they talk about Bork and Stankoven isn't so much a conversation about one being better than the other as it is a conversation about, you know, as a guy that is ready to step onto an NHL roster and compete across that roster, Bork has had a little bit of a lead because he is perceived to be more of a 200-foot player, right? He's more versatile. Yeah, I mean, he has an extra year as a professional. Yeah. There, there's all sorts of things there. I, I think the one thing that you miss here, if you're looking at it from an AHL level, is that there's so much talk about Bork and Stankhoven as a pair, and, and and just on a on a pure skill level, those two together are dynamite in the AHL. But I think that their their path in the NHL is going to be different. And I really don't see them playing together once you get to the <coughs> NHL level. Um, I think Bork will meld better with a group that needs a creative person. And God, I would love to see I would love to see Stankoven in in the Marchmont slot with Duchesne and, and Sagan. Oh yeah, and to be very very clear, that that statement I, I don't think even the answer is well. Stankoven needs to get better, even if he's. Even let's assume that it's true for a second, right? That's not to say that Stankoven can't play in the NHL because he's not going to be a penalty killer, yeah. right? There are plenty of players, elite players in the NHL that aren't penalty killers, right? Well, it's, and and if you take a look at what Neil Graham does down in in Cedar Park, Neil Graham does not keep people away from the penalty kill. You you name the guy on Texas and they're on the PK at least at some point. Yeah, he does a good job of running, getting those guys ready. So all of this is to say, right, that I, I think that 
you probably you're probably right. Bork is the most plug and play option, but I'd sure like to see both of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and we just may have to wait till next year. Well, and that's that was where I was going to go. I think that the you know one of the last things to talk about is you know we do have it's a little bit early, and I know you've got a take, so I want to set you up to you know you you've got something in the easy take as well. We do have the trade deadline coming up, and Dallas was able to avoid doing something while Haskinen was hurt, so they're probably going to have some some cheddar to work with as far as a stretch run acquisition goes. You see, you know, Monahan to the Jets, right? You see other teams in the conference starting to load up. What, if anything, has changed? So right now, right, the deadline cap, they're projecting to have about $2 million of, of space at the cap. That's if nothing else goes out. And you can get something for that, especially in South. So what about, if anything, has has changed about Dallas's approach? Well, I think the one thing that you have to look at is with some of the deals that have happened here over the over the All-Star break, the prices are pretty high right now. Yeah. And, and so that has to be at least a little concerning if what you're thinking is that you're going to pick up a, a really solid, hopefully right-handed defender at the trade deadline to to kind of fill that gap. So that's the one thing that maybe you're a little concerned about. The closer you get to the deadline, the prices will adjust. You know, the well, I also want to pick- jump in really oh. quickly here and mm-hmm. say this, this to me is why getting use out of Lundquist is so valuable. Even if you're not going to use them long-term, it's perception, right? Perception influences price. And if you're the Dallas Stars at the deadline and it is perceived that you do not trust Lundquist, will not play Lundquist, then that is going to impact your price on the market because a team dealing with you is going to look at you and say, okay, well, if you say no to this, you're going to roll with playoff Joel Hanley, right? And that's not to disparage Joel Hanley. I just mean that, that that's going to, if, if you come into the deadline as Dallas – and you found a way to turn Lundqvist into a functional player, you can drive the price down because at the very least, you can pretend that you're willing to walk away and keep things status quo because you have six guys and you have an extra and you can with a straight face say, listen, that's a bad deal. I like where we're at. You know, I like this group. Insert GM catches him here, right? If you can't get Lundqvist useful, then all of a sudden you're the team with five players and two part-time guys, and you're having to have that same conversation, the team you're talking to says, yeah, okay, if you walk away from this deal, what are you going to do? And that's going to make it tougher to swing something. It just yeah. is. It's it's the market. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that I always keep in the back of my mind is that Jim Nill is going to do he, – he's going to find himself a – defender who may not be the first guy off your tongue when you're mm-hmm. when you're mentioning names and he's going to find somebody who fits with the with the program is the right type of player and he'll he'll go off the board a little bit you know cert- certainly last year with the you know, the Dodonov signing that was yep. not something that you know everybody was saying yeah that's that's a guy who's going to be coming into Dallas at the trade deadline yeah it, it's somebody that you know, DeBoer had some experience with and and fit the personality of the team. And so I think Jim Nill will find somebody like that. And it may not be the, the high impact like Chris Tanev or something like that, that, that everybody's kicking around. But it, it's probably going to be somebody who we're going to say, hmm, yeah, that uh, that's interesting. That makes sense. And again, that also gets easier 
if you're at a point where you're getting some use out of Nils Lundqvist because yep. you don't you don't need the guy that is the slam dunk. I'm going to fix your life home. You know, you you don't need to hit it out of the park and pay premium over premium dollars for the flashy name because if you've got the Harley Haskinen thing sorted out and if you're finding the right way to shelter the rest of the group, right? then you can afford to be a little bit more nuanced in your pickup. And again, you're, you, you, maybe you're picking up a specialist. You don't, you don't need it to be a, you know, top pairing right-handed guy that can play in all situations. Cause there's a stark limit of those dudes. Maybe you just need a, a right-handed player that can play on your power play or a right-handed penalty killer. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can start to accept some, some flaws, which again, moves you down a tier in the guy that you need, which moves you down a tier in the assets that you're expending to get him, which I think is where you want to be. Yep. Yeah, I fully agree. And, you know, to tell you the truth, uh, this is why I'm at a point now with a month or plus a few days before and the trade deadline. This is the take I was waiting for. So get, yeah, the, get this, the, I, the take I machine think rolling. As, as somebody who, who writes about Dallas Stars hockey, as somebody who thinks about it a lot and, and, and is plugged in on the various conversations that are going on, I'm going to take a month off. It's like I don't I don't need to rehash Jake Ottinger. I don't need to try and rearrange the decks on the on the Titanic or, or anything like that until the trade deadline hits. I'm going to sit back and I'm going to enjoy watching Dallas Stars hockey as a fan because we've kind of killed all the stories out there. This team is is good. They they have the pieces that they need. They have the the potential to add some things, but they aren't really going to do it for another month. And so that tells me why worry about it? Why why reinvent the wheel unless you're doing a, a nice little Sean Shapiro sit down with with Jim Nill? You aren't going to be adding anything to the content that's already out there. And so sit back, enjoy, watch hockey, and and we'll deal with it in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it, to your point, right? This this team isn't perfect. There is stuff going on, but it's nothing that you're going to fix overnight. And it's very possible that in some strange way, thanks to the Haskin and injury, but it's, it's very possible that you are already fixing it and just waiting, waiting for those fixes to play out. So I think you're right. I think if we're stars fans, we we've got some, some stuff we've already talked about. Yeah. It'd be fantastic to get Stankoven and Bork in the lineup. And it's interesting to see what the bin unit's going to do and, and watching the defensive pair shake out now that Haskin is back and, and a bunch of those things. But like you said, I don't think that there's anything so amazingly structural that the team is going to react in February. And so you're right. We're probably looking a month of assessment and a month of growth and a month of planning. And, and then we'll, we'll see what happens after that. Yeah. And, and to so, tell so you tune truth, in next week. We'll have plenty of yeah. time, plenty of things. We'll, to talk we'll have about. plenty of time to kick over the same things we kicked over this week. That, that's we'll, kind we'll of where I'm at. Yeah. And, and be, as a stars fan, I'd count this as a blessing. It's not very often that you have a whole month sitting out there where where you aren't up in arms about needing to fix something or 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 this is off or that is off. Hockey's fun to watch. Let's watch it. <laughs> I wish more of the NHL had that perspective. We are such an insular weird group as hockey fans. But hockey is fun. Let's watch hockey. <laughs> All right, so That's I want my profound take for the for the month. Well, I'm going to I'm going to make you go on record because we've had so much fun with this in the past. I'm going to force you into an awkward situation. 
I'm just looking for two takes, two simple takes, Mark. I'd like you to give me one that is reasonable and, and kind of an actual, an actual kind of opinion projection of how you might see things developing over the second half of the season. And then I want you to go off board and something don't, don't, don't do like insanity for the sake of insanity, but maybe it's something you hope happens or, you know, give, give me something crazy and give me something we'll call it crazy and lazy, right? Give me something lazy. Give me something crazy. Um, my lazy pick is that the well, I, I could say that the Yanni Hockenpah heater ends, <laughs> and and, and uh, maybe my my other side of that is that Essa Lindell is going to set a points record for himself this year. Oh, okay. What what would you know? What that points record would be? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I think it's maybe nine goals and uh, and maybe just 25 points, 28 points. I have no idea. I like it. I like but it. But I, I, maybe he'll break 30 this year. He's uh, He's been distributing the puck at an amazing rate. I mean, and, and God Bisper, knows he's going to get the ice time and uh, and he'll step up and score a couple goals because everybody's trying to shut down uh, Harley Haskinen. My my favorite play of the season, and it sh- I wish I could remember who the forward that scored the goal was, but it was Lindell cleared the puck, hit a defensive player in the hip, and then that deflection landed on the stick of a star for a breakaway goal. It might have been hints. Might have been one of one of S's primary assists was the most S Lindell assist of all time. That it was a it was a blasted clearance that hit something and just fell flawlessly. Uh, so I love that. I, I think here's here's mine. My my lazy take is that Jake Ottinger is fine, and that you know he may not be playoff Ottinger all of the time. But my my lazy take is he's fine. He's going to be fine. Dallas is going to get excellent goaltending down the stretch and and in the playoffs. We don't have to worry about it. Yeah. My crazy take is move over Philippe Boucher. Thomas Harley is going to take over the number one spot as in terms of goal scoring for a Stars defenseman. Ooh. Especially yeah, it can I'm, happen. I'm, I, it can, especially if he's playing with Miro. Just imagine, dream with me for a moment, Mark. You put any of the really, maybe even all four, but you know, any of the three Dallas kind of offensive lines, right? The the Duchesne line, Sagan line, the the Hintz line, Robertson line, and the the Ben and now Pavelski, I guess line. And then you have Haskinen. And then you have Harley, right? And Harley, so far, right? He's that that late charging fourth attacker gets into the slot. All of the sudden, he's playing with four guys that are almost just purpose-built to do the thing that sets Harley up for the goals that he's scoring. And I don't think it is at all out of the realm of possibility that that, that Miro coming back kicks him up a notch rather than maintain or kind of fall back. I think this just might be one of those seasons. He's a good player anyways, but this just might be one of those situations where Dallas has stumbled into the best possible deployment pattern for Thomas Harley. And he's going to get 20 goals. Wow! And you know, I'm I'm just sick and twi- twisted enough to to think. As soon as you say that, I said, "Oh, that's going to kill next year's performance bonuses." <laughs> yeah, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> We're already eating Pavelski's cap on the two million, and, and and if Harley hits all of his, this team is not going to have enough money to spend for next year. Yeah, well, that's a problem for another day. And hey, guess what? I guess we have something to talk about over the back half of the season, anyways. There you go. We'll we'll talk money. That's uh, there's always room for talk about that.
Well, speaking of talk, we do have a couple programming notes I want to get to before we close out. We are welcoming Stephen back. We're going to have a Texas Star special. We're recording it tomorrow night, so stay tuned to your internet radio dials. We're going to dive into the farm team. Lots of fascinating things happening with the Texas Stars. And then we will be back to our regular podcast stargazing schedule. We'll be recording on Friday, so we, we should be here and ready to rock and roll for the rest of the season with, um, according to Mark, nothing to talk about. So really look forward to that. Guys, <laughs> it's gonna be a it's gonna be a monologue by Wes. I think I think the ratings may go up. Oh, they're they're fantastic already. Uh, but yep. Thank you for your insight, Mark. For your your expert taker again. Congratulations for the podcast skills competition, KT. You're the best in the business for making this thing coherent, axing out all the square words, and and just keeping us keeping us on time. And uh, like us, download us, listen to us. Talk to us. We need affirmation. Uh, Do the things that make us feel loved. Podcast over. 